Well, we begin a new series this morning and uh, start some things over here as we move into the Easter season. And uh, we're calling it Jesus Christ, Lord of All. And our focus is to remind us on a very often overlooked truth. And here's what it is. Once you and I become a Christian and we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ, from that point on, there's no longer any area of your life that falls outside of the Lordship of Jesus. He is to be the Lord of all. Everything. In fact, if you're here today and maybe watching from home and He's not Lord of your life, then um, you're sitting on the throne yourself. And that not a good thing. For all practical purposes, he's really not Lord at all for you. And that is a serious difficulty, the one that we want to address over the next eight weeks or so, as we look at different areas of life where Jesus wants to make a powerful impact through you and me. So we're going to begin with a matter that everyone can relate to, okay? Uh, what does it mean for Jesus Christ to be Lord of our attitudes? Aren't you glad we started with that one? You know why we're doing that? You know why we're starting with it? I want to get it out of the way because I have an attitude from time to time. How many other confessions need to be made here now? Huh? Okay, well, I'm feeling so much better and I'm going to pray for the rest of you that don't have attitudes. Or so, But uh, it is a big deal and uh, we want to take a look at it. If you ever traveled much by airplane, you may have flown with Southwest Airlines. Airlines, I've flown with them a few times. The founder of this company was a guy named Herbert Keller, and he passed away a few years ago. But I mentioned him because he was quoted as saying that when selecting employees, listen to this, he considers attitude more important than academic degrees or know-how. And while the hiring process involves several interviews, for sure, they don't consider psychological uh, tests or anything like that, aptitude tests. Keller says, we don't care much about your education and experience because we can train people to do whatever we need them to do. Instead, when looking for an employee of Southwest, we hire attitude. Isn't that amazing? And then he goes on to list traits that he's looking for, listening traits, caring, smiling, sense of humor, being able to say thank you, and having a warm personality. That's what they're meaning when they're talking about hiring attitude. Now, I suppose most of our life we've probably heard about the importance of having a good attitude. And I hope you brought one with you today. Uh, if you're struggling, then you're going to feel kind of like me. You'd rather not be here, you know, to hear some of this. But it's important, and it's a really big deal, as we're going to see in our message today, you see, a good attitude makes us more effective at whatever we do. A good attitude enables us to influence other people in a positive way, not a negative way. You know, a bad attitude reduces our effectiveness and dampens any kind of enthusiasm when it comes to other people. In fact, when you hear somebody say, well, you've got an attitude, that is not a compliment. <laughs> That's really not a compliment. It usually means that we... <laughs> We uh, have a poor or maybe arrogant spirit, or, or it may even mean that you're kind of hard to live with, you know, stuff like that. And 
And uh, if that is the situation for you, then come up after church and we'll have a brand new series for you one day on how to live with a bad attitude. Uh, I'm talking about the spouses that are suffering in your home from, from because of that. But anyway, studies show, studies show that cheerful people resist disease better than grumpy ones. Did you all know that? You know what that means? That it's not the early bird that gets the worm. It's the surly bird that gets the germ. <laughs> Isn't that profound? It's not in the Bible, but... Uh, You've heard it here today. Probably the first time you've ever heard that. It seems that many, many people in the world with bad attitudes don't even know that they do. Or at least they, at least they don't know the degree to which their spirit is negatively impacting other people. So that's what we want to look at in this series. Because people can think of ourselves as, well, I'm not, I'm not, I don't have a bad attitude. I'm just, I'm just being realistic. Or they'll say, you know, well, I'm a little cynical at times, but, you know, you know, I just tell it like it is. And they can be shocked sometimes if anybody would suggest that they need an attitude adjustment. At a leadership conference, one of the presenters said this. He said, a good leader gets rid of sad dogs who spread gloom. Why? Because they drag everybody else down. He went on to say, one negative employee can turn off customers, frustrate leaders, and spread discouragement among the entire company of workers. One sulking crew member can disrupt the chemistry of an athletic team and invite defeat. And one pouting teenager can disrupt the harmony of a home and drain the family of happiness. And may I add this one thing for all of us here today? One critical, cranky church member can steal the joy of dozens of others, and you can quench the Holy Spirit's flow within the body of Christ. But when Jesus Christ is Lord of your life, He will begin a transformation process, and He will change us. The Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians 2.5, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And once we come to Christ we should see a different spirit developing in us, especially over time. And I've known people who have come to church all their lives, but they've never caught on to this one truth. Jesus is to be Lord of our thinking as well as our behaving. You know, it's not just He wants you to be Lord of what everybody sees from the outside. He wants to be Lord of the stuff that's going on inside that nobody sees necessarily. Ephesians 4.23 put it this way, we are to be made new in the attitude of our minds. Now this is evident in Scripture. In several different incidents that are recorded near the end of the ninth chapter of the Gospel of Luke. And if, as we look at this, this particular section, I want, to, I want you to commit to daily allow Jesus to become the Lord of our attitudes in four areas. We're going to look at four scenarios here. Actually, four different groups of people is what we're going to be looking at. Here's the first. Our attitude should be one of humble servanthood towards our church family. We should be humble servants towards our brothers and sisters in Christ. Luke 9.46 tells us that an argument started among the disciples as to which of them was the greatest. 
Now, there's a couple of issues that had to be weighing on the disciples' minds, and that help you kind of understand maybe some of this. First, they realized that they were on the verge of being part of something really, really big. I mean, you hang out with Jesus Christ. Ordinary doesn't have any reference for you anymore. And they knew something was awesome and what was going to happen here. Jesus had been boldly stating that he was the Messiah. He was going to build his church and nothing, not even hell, could ever prevail against it. And that's exciting. And he'd been performing all kinds of amazing miracles. He raised a young daughter from the grave and raised her back from the dead. He miraculously fed 5,000 people. And the previous passage describes how Jesus had gone upon a mountain with his uh, clothing, became dazzling white, and he, Moses and Elijah were up there, and they're having this conversation, all this sort of thing. And a voice from heaven says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And these disciples, those especially that were privy to some of this, they knew they were on the forefront of God's kingdom coming. And they were pumped. They were ready. But the second issue was more troubling. It was that not all of them were being treated the same. It's not enough to, to realize that you're on the verge of something special, but it's different than suddenly feel like you're on the outside of some of it. You see, it appeared that Peter, James, and John, these were the, the big three. These were the ones that seemed to be favored by Jesus. And only those three were privileged to see some of these things. There were only those three that saw the resurrection of Jairus' daughter. The others had to hear about this second hand. And only those three were allowed to go up on the mountain of transfiguration. And uh, the others knew something spectacular was happening up there. But Jesus told Peter, James, and John to not say anything about it. And this, this perceived favoritism created some jealousy and some hard feelings. So something big is going to happen. Not everybody's being included. And that why, this is what it, that explains. That this is why there was an argument among them as to who was going to be the greatest. And we see this all the time. It happens in politics. A candidate's about to win and jockeying for position suddenly happens all over the place as people want to be influential in the next administration. And it can happen in sports. I mean, your team's doing well. And uh, who's the greatest? Who gets the most points? Whose team's going to the final four? whose team is not. <laughs> and we actually stand on common ground there, don't we? Yeah, I thought I'd pass that on to you just a bit. It's not in the Bible, but uh, happens in sports. Who's the greatest? Who gets the most points? Whose team got beat by a flock of peacocks? And... <laughs> you know what real wildcats do to peacocks? I mean, <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, don't get me started. Anyway, it happens in business. You know, who's got the boss's ear? You know, who, who's, who's kind of up to date on what's happening? All that. Who gets the office on the corner by the window? Who gets the highest salary? And it can happen to families. New babies born. A little jealousy on the part of the siblings, you know. Who's the favorite, you know? And as we see here today, it can happen in the church. It really can. As we find ourselves... Wanting the church to cater to our desires or our preferences, maybe of just a few. And sadly, I think this happens because we forget what Jesus said. The Bible says our attitude is to be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Now, don't miss this, especially verse 47. Jesus knew all this was going on with the disciples. 
He, knowing their thoughts, he took a little child and had him stand beside him. And then he said, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For he who is least among you, he is the greatest. You see, these disciples were concerned about kind of associating with the influential. They were concerned about the preferential things. But Jesus says, if you want to be great in my kingdom, you've got to prepare to spend your life serving other people, especially people who in the eyes of the world don't matter much, like this little child. And then he went on and gave that illustration. See, that's, that's a great litmus test. Are you willing to serve children as well as adults? even though there may not be much encouragement coming your way. I always get intrigued when it comes time to have volunteers for our children's ministry because it's one of the most difficult things that Andrea has to deal with. Now, she hadn't asked me to say that, but it's challenging to make sure we're staffed in the, in the nursery. And it's hard to get folks to come to church and worship in one hour and then stay another hour just to take care of our little ones. Uh, we had a, a lot of folks in first service today, a lot of... I took a, took a couple over to visit with our, uh, our children's director. And uh, it, yeah, it's a very, very important part. By the way, if you care about the future of anything, you're going to care about children. Because you know what? Some of us aren't children anymore. Now, there's a few of us that act like it. But, and I'm not looking at anybody directly. I'm avoiding the middle section completely. <laughs> And I'm still avoiding it. But it's a big deal. It is really a big deal. Do you give as much attention to the elderly widow as you would to a successful business person? Does the guy in the gallery in the wheelchair receive as much of your focus as some famous athlete? Or a blue-collar worker as much as a CEO? Does an attractive person receive as much attention from you as the beautiful people? Important question. Jesus says, when you serve the least of these, the least of these, then you're really serving him, no matter what else you do. He's saying, pay no attention to the status symbols of this world. That's what he's saying. Don't worry about it. And when you read in the Bible about these disciples, <laughs> you will find that like some of us, they just didn't get it. They're so I don't know, maybe they're just so overwhelmed with everything around Jesus that they just, their brains weren't working or something. But they don't get it. You know how we know this? Months after this particular passage, Jesus overheard his disciples in the upper room. Remember that? And you know what they were saying? The Bible says that they were arguing among themselves who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And in that teachable moment, Jesus used a striking illustration. He got a, a towel and a basin he got down on his knees. He got up from the meal, took his clothing, wrapped a bowl, and he, after that he poured it in the basin and washed his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And when he finished, he looked at them in the, looked right in the eye and reminded them, this is Luke 13, 13. He said, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightfully so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is the messenger greater than the one who sent him. 
Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. You see, someone has rightly said, the Almighty did not act high and mighty. You never saw that. The only one who was holy never acted holier than thou. The only one who knew it all didn't act like a know-it-all. And the one who owned all the stuff never strutted his stuff. Our attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. One of humble service to our church family. But that's not all. Number two, our attitude should be also one of gracious acceptance towards other believers. Believers that may be outside this congregation. Luke 9.49 says, Master, this is John asking the question, or, or was talking to him. He said, we saw a man driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not one of us. And Jesus said, don't stop him, for whoever is not against you is for you. Now, isn't it interesting? John's reaction to this unfamiliar disciple was totally judgmental. It didn't seem to matter to John at this moment that a man had a demon cast out of him. John regarded the, the healer as a competitor. And he tried to stop him. You know, the Bible does say we are to inspect the fruit everywhere we find it to discern whether or not it's between true prophets and false ones and those things. We're told to test things. But if a person believes in the Lord Jesus and in the authority of the Bible and the person is able to produce positive fruit, then you've got to leave the whole matter up to God. We should not judge that. He's the judge. Not a, we can't see hearts. He can. And our attitude is to be the same of Jesus. And his was one of gracious acceptance. Just because this man didn't have the same experiences as John, just because John wasn't acquainted with him, was no reason to condemn him. And Jesus will say, hey, guys, don't cross this guy off your list of approved healers. Don't do it. He's doing good in my name, he said, and so don't oppose him. Did you know that in the very beginning of the independent New Testament Christian church, you know, our movement started back in the 1800s, actually late 1700s, when some of the founders were beginning to move this direction. But they had a motto when the movement was kind of moving along pretty good. The slogan was, we are not the only Christians, but we are Christians only. Now, in that simple statement, is a profound clarification of what the church should be about. And it's also a profound recognition that outside of this body of Christians here at Maple Grove, there are lots of awesome things being done by Christians and churches all over the place. And we should recognize that. They recognize, God recognizes it. We should recognize it as well. They may pray differently. They may dress differently. But you know what? The church is a body. And this body has many different parts. And rather than attack each other, we ought to seek unity. We ought to disregard the denominational stuff, which I think we do a pretty good job of that. Job of that. But we need to be united around Christ Jesus. I heard an old preacher say... He, he had heard of a fellow that visited an asylum for the criminally insane. This could not have been in Kentucky, of course. But this was shortly after World War II. This was an asylum for, for people criminally insane. And as he went there and was walking around, he was concerned because he only saw like three guards, you know. And there was a hundred 
people there. People, inmates were there. Each of whom had a record for extreme violence and neurotic behavior. That's why they were in there. And he got nervous. And he, she said, isn't it dangerous? Isn't it dangerous to have only three guards with, with these hundred inmates? And the guy said, oh, no. No, it's not a problem at all. Because crazy people never unite. Lunatics never organize. Now think about that. I wonder how that could, much that could be said about congregations sometimes. <laughs> and I'd just like to tell the story because I thought it was really funny whether you did or not. So, <laughs> You know, crazy people may not unite, but I'll tell you what wise people do. God's people do. Jesus prayed in John 17, 11, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name and the name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. And our attitude is to be the same of Christ Jesus, who said, again, whoever's not against us is forced. Now, that's, that's the second. Now, the third one is this. Our attitude should be one of patient tolerance towards hostile believers or believers that are kind of problematic in some ways. But we should, be one of, we should have an attitude of patience. Look at verse 51 of Luke 9, and we see that at that time, at the time approaching to be taken into heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messages on ahead and who, who went into the Samaritan village to kind of get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him. And because he was heading, this was because he was going to Jerusalem. And again, you have to appreciate the terrible problem that Jews and Samaritans had. They just really didn't like each other. But when the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked Jesus a question. Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and destroy them? This is why they were nicknamed the Sons of Thunder, by the way, I think. <laughs> now, you got to understand, there was, again, bitter racial hatred between these two groups, the Samaritans and the Jews. They despised each other. And when this particular group of Samaritans learned that Jesus was going to Jerusalem, they refused to welcome him or offer him logic or anything. And James and John, of course, you know, they wanted to call down fire and get rid of him. Now, and that's, you know, they just couldn't tolerate. Think about this. They could not tolerate the intolerance of the Samaritans. So they said, let's just fry them. Certainly not a finest moment. But Jesus said, if you're kind to those who are kind to you, then what do you do more than other people do? Even the pagans do that. Here's the real test. Can you love and be kind to those who disagree with you, those who may be called enemies, or those who, who just don't walk the same way you walk? The minister of my home church, uh, Wayne Smith, passed away a while back. But... Um, he was at the Southland Church, my home church, for like 40, 45 years or something like that. And our county in Lexington is Fayette County. And just like we, you guys here in Bloomington, we have, we have a very liberal environment because we have a university right smack in the middle of everything. Well, there's a university right close to where I grew up. And you all don't talk about it much, but, you know, that's okay. But Brother Wayne was minister of, the, of, a, of one of the largest, fastest growing churches that ever been in, in Fayette County. And uh, it was intriguing to me to read what the, the liberal newspaper wrote about my minister. He ordained me, baptized me. Here's what they said. When Wayne Smith, the minister 
uh, at the Southland Christian Church, retired on more than one occasion, on more than a dozen occasions, we have disagreed with Wayne Smith on public issues. We have deemed him on these pages, and he has chided us from the pulpit, which he, he did. We heard many sermons focused on the liberal leadership. But these disputes pale beside what Smith and the people of South of Christian Church have created. Now Smith is leaving a post he's held for over 40 years, and we will miss his vigor, his commitment, his humor, his warmth, and his leadership. And we can only hope that Smith's retirement will be fruitful and long. See, the Bible says when a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he'll make even his enemies be at peace with him. It's not just a matter of standing for the truth, people. It's a matter of standing for the truth with a good attitude, with a right attitude. And we're not to speak the truth in love. And we're not going to speak the truth in love if we harbor attitudes and other preconceived ideas. The Bible says love is patient. The Bible says love is kind. It is rude, not rude. It's not easily angered. Love always perseveres. Love all, always conquers. Love never fails. And lastly, number four, if Jesus is going to be Lord of our lives, then our attitude toward Jesus himself should be one of decisive allegiance. We've got to declare. We've got to declare. This next section in Luke 9 records three potential followers who apparently didn't make the cut because of indecision. The first man, we'll call him a, we'll call him a security seeker. Verse 57, as they walked along the road, a man said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, well, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. You know, what's he saying? He's making it pretty clear. You know, if you're going to follow me, all I can offer you is a cross. No place to lay your head. I, 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 I have sacrifice, persecution. He wasn't inclined. Then Jesus invited a procrastinator to follow him. This guy shows up, verse 59. He said to another man, follow me. But the man said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, you let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now that sounds harsh until you understand it's likely that the man's father hadn't died yet. He was basically saying, you know, I... I've got to stick around to bury my father. Normally, they buried people pretty quick when they died in the first century. About two days, it was done. But this man's saying, I'll follow you later, but right now I need to stay home and take care of things there. And Jesus' answer basically is this. You let the spiritually dead bury the physically dead. The spiritually alive, though, need to be busy right now proclaiming the good news. Now, why do you say that? Because in everything, there's a crucial moment. And if that moment is missed, it's probable that you'll never, ever, it'll never be done at all. Then a third man showed up and volunteered, but he wouldn't follow Jesus. Again, it's kind of a family matter. Verse 61 said, still another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Now, there's nothing wrong with loving your family. Nothing wrong with that. That's, that's neat. But a commitment to follow Jesus has got to be one of decisive allegiance. Allegiance that exceeds all other priorities. And it's an irreversible kind of decision. Listen to what Jesus said. 
He replied, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now let me wrap up. Let me close with this. Perhaps some of us, maybe some of you, or years ago made a commitment to follow Jesus. And, you know, you look back. Somewhere along the way of the journey, you, you look back. Maybe it was in college, you know, kind of grew up in the church. But then you got to college, you hear a lot of different views about things. So you kind of, you look back. And maybe it's during a midlife crisis of sorts. And Jesus is saying to us, if that's the case, from this point forward, your attitude should be committed, steadfast allegiance to follow our Lord. An allegiance that doesn't look back anymore. We move forward. Our eyes are set on things above, not on things below. So if you're willing to make Jesus Lord of everything, including your attitude, then that's why we have this time at the end of every sermon, at the end of our worship service. It's a time of invitation. And I'm not inviting you. The Lord is inviting you. And when you make that call, here's what he will do. He'll make you humble when you hadn't been very humble before. He will make you gracious. He will make you tolerant. He'll move you in directions you've never been. He will make you decisive. And ultimately, he will create within you and me a faithfulness that will shine out like a beacon of light from this hill to this neighborhood, to this community. Now, we're going to be talking more about this in the weeks to come because Jesus is serious about his commitment to be our Lord. And we need to be serious about our commitment to let him 